Well, we're going to be looking at a brief passage here from the Gospel of Matthew and then also looking at a parallel passage in Mark's Gospel. So we'll begin in Matthew chapter 8. This is the account of Jesus healing a leper. So Matthew chapter 8, and begin reading here in verse 1. When Jesus came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him, and a leper came to him and bowed down before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And then we'll look at the parallel passage in Mark chapter 1. Virtually the the same account here, just with a little bit different emphasis and a few points. Mark chapter 1 and verse 40. It says, And a leper came to Jesus, beseeching him, and falling on his knees before him, and saying, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And so I just wanted to take some time here this morning to consider this account here and look at some um, things that we can draw from this leper in the way that he approached coming to the Lord and then uh, finish by looking at um, Christ's response to him. So we'll begin uh, looking first at the leper. And just a few observations here, nothing uh, monumental, just some things that I think we can glean from this. And the first thing we see, obviously, is that he's a leper. And uh, what we know from Scripture concerning leprosy is that this was a... um, a despised sickness. Any who had it, many viewed it as a curse in some ways. It was humiliating, and all who had it were despised and cast out. And um, if we look at some Old Testament passages on this, you can see the emphasis really was in if you had leprosy, you were separated from the congregation. And I'm just going to read a couple of uh, passages here from Leviticus and Numbers. First, in Leviticus 13, it says, As for the leper who has the infection, his clothes shall be torn, and the hair of his head shall be uncovered, and he shall cover his mustache and cry, Unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean all the days during which he has the infection. He is unclean. He shall live alone his dwelling shall be outside the camp. And then in Numbers it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the sons of Israel that they send away from the camp every leper and everyone having a discharge and everyone who is unclean because of a dead person. You shall send away both male and female. You shall send them outside the camp so that they will not defile their camp where I dwell in their midst. So again, this idea of separation because of this um, disease, because of leprosy. Well, what we know from the rest of Scripture here is that leprosy is a picture of sin. And just as a leper was cast out of the camp, 
so also sinners will be cast out and separated from the presence of God. If you are to be in the camp of Israel, you must be ceremonially clean. And if you are going to be in the presence of God, you must be washed by the blood of the Lamb. In Revelation 7, it says this, verses 13 and 14, Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, These who are clothed in white robes, who are they, and where have they come from? I said to him, My Lord, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation, and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So here you have this picture of being washed in the blood of the Lamb, and what does that accomplish? It accomplishes cleansing. So this leper, he has leprosy, he's separated because of it. The second thing that we can see here is that he humbly comes to Christ. And in, verse, uh, in Matthew's account, it says he bowed down, and then here in Mark's account, it says he fell on his knees. And by coming to Christ, he is exposing his problem and admitting his own need, his own inability. You don't go and ask for deliverance if you feel that in yourself you've got it all figured out how you're going to fix it. You only go when you're at the end. I can't do this on my own. I need help. He needs help from the outside. But something else that we can notice is that he comes and asks for help in front of others. There's a multitude, or at least the crowd of disciples are around. And I was thinking about this in virtually every gospel account that I can think of uh, regarding Christ performing a miracle. There is either a crowd of people around, or at the very least, the disciples are present. Now, this does not imply that in order for you to meet with Christ, it has to be in a multitude or where other witnesses are around. But it does bring out that there is a sense of desperation that you're willing to press through, even though there are others around, that it might be humiliating to confess this need. There's a desperation and a willingness to sacrifice, you might call it public dignity, I'm unclean and I need help. And I thought of a few other examples of this from the Gospels, and we're not going to turn to these, but I'll just mention them. You've got the woman with the issue of blood there in Mark 5, and here she comes to seek the Lord, and it ends up that she exposes her whole problem to him and is healed. Then you have blind Bartimaeus there in Mark chapter 10, And the crowds are trying to keep him quiet, and he cries out all the more because he wants to meet with Christ. There was no shame. He's crying out because he needs needs help from the Lord. And then you also have, this one's a little bit different, but you have the paralytic there where the friends are trying to reach the Lord. They're trying to bring this paralytic, and they can't get through because of the crowd. So they go up on the roof and open the roof up and lower him down. And what a scene that would be. Here Christ is speaking to a multitude in some kind of house or building, and all of a sudden the roof opens up and down comes this person. I mean, that's quite a scene. But again, there's desperation. We need to see the Lord, and so they're not going to let anything stand in the way. And that is the same um, approach that this leper has. He's not going to let his, his illness, his sickness, hold him back 
from coming to the Lord. Well, another thing we can learn from the leper, he doesn't come demanding. It's not this claim your healing in Jesus' name. He comes humbly entreating the Lord, or as it says in Mark here, beseeching the Lord. And I thought of some verses regarding this idea of humility in coming to the Lord. Um, and these are some familiar verses, but they really stress this um, this idea here of the Lord's regard for those who come in humility. And this one is in Isaiah 66, verses 1 and 2. Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where then is a house you could build for me, and where is a place that I may rest? For my hand made all these things. Thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. But to this one I will look, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. So here you have it. God is saying clearly, this is the one that I'm going to look to. This is the one I'm going to regard, the one who is humble and contrite of spirit. And then in James, um, and this verse comes up um, elsewhere in the New Testament, James 4, verse 6, Therefore it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So again, coming, this leper is coming in humility, and what does the Bible say about that? God gives grace to the humble. Well, another thing that we can see here from this passage is that he bows down, he falls on his knees before Christ before he is healed. This is not an act of praise and thanksgiving for his healing, but it is an act of worship before the healing has even come. And I was thinking of a parallel idea here um, in another account, not of the same healing, but if you'll turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 7, we'll see an account of someone else who um, worshipped Christ even in their condition of need. And this is uh, Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Now one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him, and he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And in the margin there, it, it brings out the fact that this is an immoral woman. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. And then we'll skip this parable that Jesus speaks to this man, Simon. But then uh, pick it up again in verse 48. Jesus then said to her, your sins have been forgiven. Those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now notice the flow here in this account. You have this woman coming to Christ in an act of worship 
and anointing him and weeping there and kissing his feet. This is an act of worship. And then at the end there, Jesus declares to her, your sins have been forgiven. And then he tells her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And what you have, it's, it's similar there with the leper. You have this idea of a person coming before Christ in their current state of need and bowing down in worship to Christ before the healing, before the forgiveness has even come. Now, I do want to make it clear. We know from the rest of Scripture that um, the heart must first be changed before it can ever respond in that way. Um, In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3, Paul says that no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. But we do need to see something here. There was an act of worship before there was this deliverance from their sickness or from their sin. And it got me to thinking here. Worship of Christ should not just be a reaction for what he has done for us. Although it is very true, Christ has done so much for us and we ought to be praising him. We ought to be rejoicing in that. And thanksgiving in and of itself is an act of worship. And you see this all throughout the Psalms. Um, and I just picked out a couple here for an example. Psalm 98, verse 1. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done wonderful things. And then Psalm 103, verse 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. So here you have the psalmist is looking to what Christ has done and is rejoicing in it and praising the Lord. So we know that it is right and it is biblical to praise God, to worship him for the things that he has done. But what we see in this example is that they worshiped Christ even before he had delivered them. So worship of Christ should first and foremost be a response to who he is, not just what he has done for us. The response that every person will have when they are face-to-face with Christ is found in Philippians where it says, At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, the every knee that is referring to here is not just to the Christian, but it is to the the believer and the unbeliever. And you may wonder, why would the unbeliever bow down before Christ? Because he's worthy. And when they are faced with him, they will bow down because he is worthy. And if anyone ever gets a glimpse of who Christ is, they will worship him. They will not have an attitude of, what has he done for me? If anyone has that kind of an attitude, they have never seen anything of the glory of Christ. In Revelation, um, when the Apostle John sees the Lord, he says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. So when you see something of the beauty of Christ, you will worship him. Worship begins with a glimpse of the glory of who Christ is, 
And as you continue to see all that he has done for you, it only fuels the worship that much more. It results in more praise. As you begin to see what God has done for you, it reveals more of his character to you, and you, the end result is more praise to him. But it begins with seeing Christ for who he is. Well, looking back here to this account the, um, back in Mark, he has faith, the leper has faith in the power and ability of Christ. He says, you can make me clean. There is a confidence in the leper's request. This is the result of seeing something of the glory of Christ. He isn't just coming up to a random person on the street saying, will you heal me? He's coming to Christ, and he has undoubtedly heard of Christ healing others. He may have even witnessed it himself, or at the very least, he's probably heard others testify, I once was blind, but now I can see. He's probably heard, at the very least, he knows that there's, there's rumors spreading here that this man can heal. And because of that, it fuels his faith and confidence in the Lord. And I was thinking, of course, we don't know much about this man, but if he knew anything of the Bible, you have there in Jeremiah 32, Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you. And that is his approach in coming to the Lord. Lord, you are able. I know that you can make me clean. Well, then finally here with the leper, he asks if Christ is willing. If you are willing, you can make me clean. He is appealing to the heart or to the character of Christ. Lord, I know you're able to do this if only you're willing to do it. And is this not what we're encouraged and exhorted to do in Scripture? In prayer, we can use the word of God to fuel our own faith and to come to God and reminding him of what he has said in his word that he would do. The promise is, Lord, you've, you've done this before. Would you yet do it again? And I thought of um, an example, and this isn't exactly a, a parallel here, but I think there's something we can glean from this. You can turn to it if you want, although we'll just be looking at a few verses in Second Chronicles chapter 6, um, this account of Solomon here, the temple has just been built, and um, this is the, the dedication of the temple. And um, here Solomon's praying before the people to the Lord. And um, I'm just going to read verse 21. This kind of is a summary of the, the way that his prayer went. Listen to the supplications of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. Hear from your dwelling place from heaven. Hear and forgive. And then later on in this prayer, um, in verse 32 and 33, he begins to petition the Lord for if someone from the outside were to come in, if an alien or a stranger were to come in. In verse 32, also concerning the foreigner who is not from your people Israel, when he comes from a far country for your great namesake and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm, when they come and pray toward this house, then hear from heaven, 
from your dwelling place and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you. And this is the part. In order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your people Israel and that they may know that this house which I have built is called by your name. So here he's petitioning the Lord for your name's sake, do this. And I think there, there is a, a parallel there in the way this leper is coming. Lord, if you're willing, he's, again, he's looking to the heart of Christ in this. He knows there's the ability. He's asking, Lord, if you would be willing, would you do this? Well, let's move on then and look here at Christ and his response. We looked at the faith or confidence that the leper had in Christ's power and ability, but there was this one question, is Christ willing? And what is Jesus' response here? He says, I am willing. Could there be anything more comforting to a needy soul than to hear the words of Christ? I am willing. Imagine yourself in a situation where you are in a dire need. I mean, all of us have from time to time been faced with something of a serious need. But imagine you're in a crisis situation that there is nowhere else to turn, but you have a king, a ruler, who has all power and all authority and with a word could deliver you from your, your time of need. But you know him to be a cruel and mean king, a cruel and mean ruler, and he turns away any who come to him. Would you find comfort, would you find deliverance and help in an all-powerful king who is unwilling to help? And of course the answer is no. There's no help if the king, the all-powerful one, is not willing to help. And I was thinking, you know, do we ever think of Christ in that way as an all-powerful but unwilling Savior? Do we think of him like the unrighteous judge in Luke 18? You know, here this widow comes and petitions him and finally is like, I'm just to get her off my back, I'm going to give her what she wants. Is that the way that we come before Christ? Do we ever consider Christ's sovereignty and salvation and begin to think, What's the use in praying, or what's the use in coming to God? He's only going to do what he wants anyway. Well, don't ever study the doctrine without also studying the life of Christ. In all our study of doctrine, we must come back to the example of the life of Christ himself. We have his life recorded for us here in these pages. We have his very words recorded in the Gospels. And what does he declare? He declares, I am willing, be cleansed. And we see other passages like this. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Do you see that? He wishes that all would come to repentance. And then in John chapter 6, verse 37, it says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, 
and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. And then a final passage here, and I'm not going to read this one to you because we're all familiar with it, but the example of the prodigal son. You have here this son departs, he goes away with the, fa- the inheritance that his father has given him, and it's, he squanders it. And in a moment, you might say, of sobriety, it says he came to his senses, and he decides, I'm going to go and repent before my father, and I'm going to become one of his hired servants. And as he's returning to uh, seek forgiveness from his father, his father sees him and runs to him and embraces him. There's that desire, that longing that the father has to be reconciled. And that is a picture of Christ here. Here it's not this judge holding us at arm's length. This is a father longing to have his children come to him. And again, I am willing That's the attitude of Christ. Well, think with me again back to this um, scenario that I presented where you're in a desperate situation. You're in a desperate need. But this time you hear of a ruler, a king, who is a gentle and kind king. And you come to him and he welcomes you in. He hears your case And he's lovingly listening to you. And in a gentle way, he tells you, I'm concerned for you, and I want to help, but I'm unable. I, I want to help, but I just don't have any ability to be able to meet your need. So here you have a willing king, but a powerless king. Is that going to be a a help to you in any way? And again, the answer is no. It's really no different than having an all-powerful but an unwilling king. You see there, you can't, neither one is going to ultimately be able to deliver you from your need. But in Christ, we have the perfect blend, the perfect balance. He's willing and all-powerful. He says, I am willing, be cleansed. And he was healed immediately. The proof of Christ's power is not in the words, be cleansed. The proof of his power was in the result. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. How wonderful that when we come to Christ, we're coming to a Savior who is both compassionate and willing and able to deliver. What a Savior that we have, that here we've we've got one. We're not coming to one without the other. We're coming to the one, the King, who is all-powerful and willing. And it reminded me of this song that we sing, Come Ye Sinners, and this is just the first verse. Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, love, and power. And there you have it. Pity and love, you might say, fits into that category of the willingness of Christ. And the power, obviously, is his ability. And then the refrain, he is able, he is able, he is willing Doubt no more. 
What a, what a glorious thing. We're coming before the one who is both willing and able. Well, just a final observation from this account. Christ didn't send the leper away to clean himself up first. You know, this idea of go and do your part, and when you've done all you can, then come back and I'll finish the rest. That's not the attitude that Christ has. Now, in the medical field, in some um, surgeries, there will be a prerequisite obligation that the patient has to go through, uh, something that they have to comply with before they're eligible for the surgery. And oftentimes it's for health reasons. If uh, there's too much risk involved in doing a surgery, so the patient has to you know, lose some weight or lower their blood pressure or something before they're eligible for the surgery. But other times, it's really a way to weed out the patients who aren't really serious about following through. If you have a patient who is serious and follows the doctor's orders beforehand, there's a higher chance of success on the back end of the surgery. That is not how Christ deals with us. You go and do your part. You meet these goals and then come back to me and we'll see about meeting your need. Christ never sends us away anywhere else. And let's think about it. What could we do if we were to go anywhere else? Do you have power within yourself to do anything? You couldn't do anything to make yourself better. That's why this leper was coming to Christ. There was nothing in that day and age that could have touched his leprosy. The only one he had to turn to was Christ, and Christ did not turn him away. He, he brought him in, and he healed him. There is nowhere else to go. Christ is our only hope. He, as the song says, is all we need. Well, amen. Those are just some thoughts that I had from these accounts here of the lepers. So may the Lord help us to apply these truths to our own lives.